This is the Decoding Obesity Podcast, where we simplify, demystify, and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity Podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Decoding Obesity Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. I'm pleased to welcome back Dr. Angela Fitch, who was here with us recently. She's a both certified physician in obesity medicine, internal medicine, and pediatrics. She is currently the associate director of the Massachusetts General Hospital Weight Center and a faculty at the Harvard Medical School. She is also the current vice president of the Obesity Medicine Association. Today, she is wearing a different hat. She has been able to successfully lose a substantial amount of weight and has been able to keep it off successfully as well. Let's dive into her story. Welcome back, Angela. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So nice to have you back. So let's talk about your story. When did your weight really become an issue for you and when did you really become aware of this problem? So I was always really athletic growing up. So I started very early just doing gymnastics. I was never very good at it, but I, I don't know how I got into that. My parents sort of sent me to gymnastics and I did it. But I, like I said, I wasn't very good. So I, I stopped pretty early with that. But then I would play, you know, soccer a little bit. And then at, when I got to middle school and high school, you know, I, I ran track and I, I played sports, but I was always bigger, right? I was always like, because I had been a gymnast, I was always pretty muscular and I'm just kind of built that way. You know, I'm kind of German and Norwegian and (laughs) just sort of like, you know, a little bit stocky, if you will. That's what I always thought of myself as. I just, I never was, I'm I'm fortunate that I never struggled with real pediatric obesity, like, like we see today in some of our patients. Um, The only size in clothes, for example, that I ever remember is being like a size, like a size 12. In women's. So I never remember being like, you know, I was never a one or two or four or six. You know, I just remember being like a 10 to 12. And that's where I had to shop. You know, like I never got to go to the stores where they had like the tiny clothes. (laughs) And so, you know, I just I just thought of myself. I never had a body image issue, thankfully. But I have a lot of obesity in my family. And looking back on it now as an obesity specialist, I recognize that of my family, I was probably, you know, the lucky one, if you will. Like I was able to be active enough or be engaged enough in, in other types of, I like to cook. I like to, you know, eat healthy where sort of, you know, it wasn't that the rest of my family didn't like to eat healthy, but growing up in Iowa, which is where we grew up, you know, we were used to eating, you know, shake and bake chicken in the oven and, (laughs) and, uh, potatoes and it was a very meat and potatoes sort of uh, family and peanut butter jelly sandwiches and and things like that. So it wasn't really, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, high-end cooking or anything going on. (laughs) No no, no gourmet cooking. No, no, no gourmet (laughs) cooking. 
but no, it's great though. I mean, like I said, it was a very positive environment. It was never a negative environment, but I, I was never very thin. So I guess the story goes that, you know, when did I struggle with my weight? I think as I went into college and then went to, to work for a while, I worked before I went back to medical school. And then when I got in medical school, I think was when I put on quite a bit of the weight. And then throughout residency too, I think the night shift and, you know, eating lots of like peanut butter and cracker at the nurse's station at two right. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's not very good for us the way we used to do medicine training. Right. And then uh, I really, I guess, you know, uh, gained a fair amount of weight um, when I was trying to have children then. So then that was in my late 30s. Um, and I had uh, repeated um, episodes of miscarriages and sort of back-to-back -back, uh, struggle with that. And in doing so, I would, you know, put on 10 pounds or so in that first trimester. And then I would not lose it when I right. then did it again, you know, so that by the time I was done with all that and I was 40 years old and I had my first child, then I was, um, you know, up around 200 pounds. So I had sort of crept up from sort of where I remember myself being in the 130s you know, when I was like in high school, you know, up into the, the sort of 200 range, you know, post-pregnancy wow. now, like 20 years later. Wow. Wow. And so what all did you try for that um, prior to actually being successful? So I did, you know, the traditional, cause I, you know, when we, um, I was a internal medicine, pediatric primary care physician. Um, and again, that was my first part of my career for the first 10 years while I was, you know, going through this time of trying to start a family as well. And, um, you know, we took call overnight. We admitted four or five patients a night to the ICU at our local hospital. In addition to other patients, we were admitting to the floor. Sure. Um, so it was a very busy primary care practice. So during that time, there wasn't a lot of focus on self-care, I guess is the, the point. You know, I was sort of establishing my practice and I was working a lot. And so I would do general exercises outside. We lived in Minnesota. We would cross-country ski. We would wow. um, go skiing a lot. We would, um, you know, go walking around the lake. But I, I never was really uh, intensive with it, you know, from a standpoint of I'd go to, I'd go to the gym, I'd go to classes, you know, go to the YMCA and I'd go to boot camp. You know, that was my favorite, you know, right. class to go to with weights, et cetera. So I was, I was working out three or four times a week and then I would, I would usually just track calories essentially, you know, so, um, you know, we never really learned a lot about weight management. I mean, we, that is true. We, I don't think we learned out anything now either. Yeah, we <laughs> trained ourselves, right. I mean, the, right. we kind of like, you know, when I was in the primary care practice, that's how I got interested in obesity medicine because I just, people would come in, they'd say, well, how do I lose weight? And I'm like, I don't know. Good question. Right. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, go to Weight Watchers. Um, why don't you do this app, you know, and, and, and try to see how many calories you're eating, right? It was a very much a calorie in, calorie out sort of right. um, discussion. Uh, so I, you know, I would try to do that myself, basically, you know, because I'm like, oh, I should be sort of doing what I'm telling people to do, right? right. And I'd be mildly successful, you know, I'd lose five, 10 pounds, you know, which is pretty good, right? Because if I'm, if I'm 200 pounds, and I lose 10 pounds, you know, that's um, 5% of my weight, correct? right? But see, I think in general, right, society has this misconception, like I did too, when I was part of society, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> um, that that I could do more, right? That I, I wanted to lose that. I wanted to go back down to like 140. Right. right? There's, there's always this gap between the expectation and the reality. Yeah, right. Because 140 is 60 pounds. Like I have these conversations with my patients all the time. Right now, you know, I'm like, 
So 140 is from 200 to 140 is like 60 pounds, right? right? So that's 30% of my weight. That's like, true. That's you a know, lot. and so, to, I mean, I really have to have surgery if that's what I'm going to do. Now, granted, even at 200 pounds, I was not at a level that would qualify for surgery, right? right. So, um, you know, being my height, what it is, you know, my BMI was still in the 30s. So it wasn't at low 30s. So it wasn't like I um, certainly qualified for that. But if I want that, how how can I get there? Right. Like I, you know, I was thinking I could just do it with diet and exercise and and I would do a little bit of it, but I never really uh, did anything until I started taking medication. So that was really what changed my mindset is when I started to become an obesity medicine physician and I recognized the importance of obesity as a disease. As you're talking about, you know, um, on your podcast, I mean, the fact that obesity is a disease means that a lot of times we need medication to make it better. That's right? true. And it wasn't until I started taking uh, medication that I was able then, you know, combined with my lifestyle efforts, I did sort of step it up a notch because I got a Peloton bike. I'm a very big Peloton fan. That was very <laughs> early on in like the first year that they were out. So before they became wow. famous, because I was struggling, you know, to exercise, to get to the gym you know, because of my job, right. And being busy and then having a small child on top of that. Yeah. I think that's a very common theme that uh, we see your health kind of takes a backseat early on in your career. And that's where things just fall start falling apart. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to kind of take that into account and then step back and see how you can make things work out for you because health is so important. Right. But you, I think you, a lot of people do this, not just in medicine, right? I mean, I see a lot of patients that their job, you know, is really sort of, you know, killing them. Like I've had patients recognize even with COVID right now, one of my patients, she's doing a great job and she's like, well, I guess, you know, she was working like three jobs, you know, at wow. one point, you know, because of whatever, you know, finances, et cetera. But she recognizes she hasn't been working these other jobs because the other jobs were in, um, the industry sector, entertainment sector, you know, like um, restaurants and um, uh, at the TD Garden, which is the, the, you know, where the Celtics play, you know, so she was working, you know, doing that kind of on the side, right, on top of her other job, like her day job. And she, but she recognizes how much that, you know, how much now she has more time to devote to her, her well-being and so we, we do have to really think about that, I think, is how much do we want our job? I mean, I remember having that conversation with myself, even like, I don't want my job to kill my kill me, you know? I think the other thing, uh, the other aspect of this is uh, the fact that while your job does make you money, the amount of money that you'll spend later on in your life uh, taking care of yourself when you're sick is going to be much more than what you would have made. And we don't count, account for that fact because that's in the future. That's not happening in the present. Right. Which is what we, you know, I think a lot of us have struggled with that. You know, that's technically called delayed discounting, right? This idea that you can see something in the future that that is worth more than what you're doing today. And a lot of people just in general, we don't have good feelings around delayed discounting. You know, we want it now. We'd rather take $5 now than take $20 at the end of the month because we want the $5 now, if you will. And so that's really something we all have to talk to our patients about, but also ourselves, you know, about what is it really worth, right? And that's, if that's not something that, you know, I'm no psychologist, but I know enough about delayed discounting that it's not something <laughs> that a lot of people are just naturally gifted at. You know, true, my husband is true. naturally, he's naturally gifted. He's the, 
he's the epitome of delayed discounting. Like he's always <laughs> waiting for the future, <laughs> but, um, you know, saving for the future, but uh, I'd rather have it right now type of person <laughs> as a personality. But the, the key is that you can train yourself though. That's true. To appreciate that delayed discounting. Right. And that's where we have to help patients to develop some of those, you know, tools like that, that they can then train themselves, you know, how to, how to manage that or how to value that. That's true. Did you ever reach a point where you just gave up? You were like, I'm not going to lose weight. And how did that make you feel? Yeah, you know, it's very defeating, right? Like I uh, am a fan of, uh, I read um, Yanni Friedhoff's blog. Um, he, you know, is a, a BST medicine physician in Canada. Right. Yeah. And he said something really prominent in an article he wrote for something recently, one of the publications online or something one of the magazine articles, if you will, the best weight you can achieve, because patients always ask us like, well, what weight should I be? Or what's my ideal weight? Or what should I be, right? Your ideal weight is the weight you can achieve and still live a happy life, right? Or I might be paraphrasing it a little bit, but I thought that was very profound because you have to balance that with what you want to live with, right? Like, I mean, I might want to still, you know, I was able to lose, you know, about um, 35 pounds, you know, with, with my, uh, interventions. Right. But it's work to keep that off. Right. And of course I'd like to lose more. I'd still like to be the 140, you know, that's in my mind. Right. Uh, but I, I recognize that to get there, I'd have to, my job would have to be to be a Peloton instructor, <laughs> you know, I'd have to work out. Like, you know, I mean, the thing is, is that I was looking at one of my Peloton instructors and the workouts they do, because, you know, during COVID they weren't um, videotaping in the studio because the studio was closed. And so they, they were posting on the website, a lot of their um, workouts that they were doing. So you could follow and do the same workout that day. Right. One of my instructors, he works out like four hours a day. Like he's got this workout and then that workout and this workout all the same day. Right. I'm thinking (laughs) that's like a week. (laughs) (laughs) But he, he does that. And, but again, this is the point, right? This is what he does for a living. He's got, you know, probably, I don't know, 8% body fat, 10% body fat. Right. Like, I mean, to get there, to be that, right. It takes that amount of effort. You don't Mm -hmm. get there with my, you know, our workout four times. And you have to realize that's that's his job. So he's doing his yeah. job. And you cannot have everything at the same point in time. You have to strategize and prioritize what's important for you. Right. And you have to, you know, but you have to recognize then that you don't have to give up. I think for some right. patients, they think of that, like you said, as a sort of giving up. I, I don't think we should ever give up. But at the same time, I think we have to recognize, you know, what interventions we're going to need if we want to accomplish that goal. Right. So if I really do want to be 140 pounds, you know, then I need to like really step right. it up a notch, right. And decide. Yeah, and, and there's a difference between being say like for you being 140 pounds versus you being at a healthy weight. Quote yeah, unquote. Right. So there's a difference because it doesn't right. have to be 140 pounds for you to be healthy metabolically. Right. And that's, right. And that's the other thing, right. Is that, um, when you look at it too, this is the discussion I have with patients all the time too, because I reached this nadir, you know, um, at around, I got down to around 158. That was kind of my lowest. And then I kind of went back up a little bit again, but interestingly, you know, I went back up by about seven pounds, but interestingly, my body fat percentage is still the same. So, you know, I'm still like at 30, 30% body fat, which is normal. 
right? right? So, right. so, you know, even though I'm 165 pounds right now, my body fat percentage is normal. So I have to appreciate that at some level, you know, I mean, you have to sort of deal with that. I mean, I have some muscle, right? Cause I, that's, that's cool. just the way I am. I'm very like compact. I have like, I think it's, I always forget, right? I think it's type two muscle fibers, right? The, I am, I'm not an endurance athlete. Like I, I am a sprinter. <laughs> that's what I was, I was a sprinter. And I was a discus thrower and a shot foot because <laughs> wow. I had like strength. I was the only one that had strength, you know? Wow. Um, so that was what I, you know, what I did back then. And did obesity affect your relationship with food at any point in time? So I've been very fortunate that I don't really let it affect my relationship. You know, like in other words, I feel like food should be nutrition, right? And food should be enjoyed. You know, I don't, I don't think we should, I don't think anybody should be on a diet. I mean, we get a lot of criticism in different communities, you know, we meaning in weight management. I think you should live into a lifestyle that you can live into, right? And I think that should be um, something that works for you. Um, and so it just so happens that the things I do to try to manage that work for me, right? I'm okay with having a protein shake for breakfast and having a shake for lunch sometimes or a bar for a snack at the office because I don't have time to go grab something, you know, or I didn't pack or I didn't plan. So my strategy is to use meal replacements, for example, to so as not to just go hungry and then come home at night. And then I'm going to be like scrounging around for something when I get home and crackers and cheese. And, you know, right. it's just going to like, you know, not be a healthy situation. So, so I've, I've been very fortunate that I've, I've been able to do this, you know, with a good balance between physical activity, sleep, you know, prioritizing my sleep and, you know, a healthy, well-balanced, because I was always eating pretty healthy. I mean, it wasn't like I was like going out to eat a lot or getting fast food or any kind of super processed food. I was just, you know, I don't know. I just was, my family, my, my uh, brother struggles with, with severe obesity. And um, he always did, even when he was like 10 years old or even younger than that. I can remember when I look back, you know, when he was six, seven, eight years old, he started to struggle with obesity. Um, I didn't recognize it, of course, back then. I mean, I kind of did, but it wasn't like it was something, you know, that we tried to fix back then. It, it was sort of this thing where we always thought he would outgrow it, right? Everybody told us, Oh, he's just gonna because he's also super tall and he was really good at football and he went to college mm-hmm. and played football because he was on the line, you know. So he had that sort of thing going for him that he, you know, was using his weight a little bit to his advantage back then, you know, and being successful with those things, but it took a toll on his body, unfortunately. And yeah. Um, so he really struggles, right? So if you look at us together, you know, you'd be like, Oh wow, you know, <laughs> like I'm the lucky one <laughs> that I that I didn't. Um, struggled quite as much, thankfully. And did obesity ever have an effect on your relationship with yourself? And did that change once you kind of started losing weight? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy, right, to get sort of um, down on yourself for various reasons, whether it's like work or, again, having a family and whether or not you're able to do that or not. And, you know, everything that happens to us, um, it's easy for us to get kind of, I think, down more than it is, you know, be happy, right? Like, yeah, I, mean, I think we're our worst critics. I mean, yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, you don't want to, like, you know, be in a bathing suit or, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, like I said, I was fortunate I never really had a lot of body image issues necessarily, but it wasn't like I was, I would sometimes, you know, say, oh, I want to be like that, right? Like, you know, <laughs> I would look at, um, 
you know, people and go, I'd rather look like that. (laughs) (laughs) But again, that takes a lot of, you know, I was in the best shape when I, I got a trainer that really, that was even before my Peloton. I got a trainer. I owe my, a lot of my um, recent transformation to her. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I actually asked another guest this. Um, how important do you think was a trainer for you? Because so for important. Me, really, for me, I've kind of never been able to justify the cost of a trainer. Okay, so it is. So I tell patients this all the time because it is so worth it. I mean, a lot of people literally just can't afford it. I mean, really, right. it is costly. So we recognize that a lot of our patients they just really don't have means to do that, right? Right. Um, but. It was the best thing I ever did because I had never done it either. And I got into it through a friend of mine, a colleague that was going to this person. And she's like, oh, you should go see Allison. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> you know, but again, so I'm this person, right? And I had to recognize this. I'm a person where I don't do it unless I have an appointment. Like, you know, I it's see. not something, even though I like to exercise, meaning I, I was always an athlete in high school or junior high, you know, um, I don't really like it. Like, I mean, Nike had a reason for putting on their slogan, you know, just do it. (laughs) Right. Cause you just have to do it. I mean, it's not fun. Like it's not. (laughs) And, and, and then the, you know, the sort of no pain, no gain thing. Right. I mean, it hurts. I mean, it hurts to exercise. It doesn't hurt. It shouldn't hurt when you're exercising. Right. You shouldn't have like localized knee pain, but you're sore. That's true. There's a fallacy too. There's a big fallacy that after you work out for a while that you're not sore anymore. Oh no. Mm-mm. you still get sore every time. Yeah, like true. I go see Allison, I couldn't walk the next day, <laughs> like, even though I was in super good shape. Right. Because if you work out enough, you actually, you know, break down your muscle fibers. I mean, this is what's good for you. You know, you're a little bit That's sore. True. That you is know? true. Yeah. And so you do have to kind of cope with that. Right. <laughs> but what was really good is, so there's actually um, some data that shows that you get 30% more efficacy from working out with a trainer oh I like didn't know you know there's like a 30 percent like bang for your buck if you will so like if you're exercising for an hour a day but you're doing it with a trainer it's really like 90 minutes or whatever oh wow right or not that's quite, amazing you know, i should get a trainer probably then <laughs> yeah because it's so it's um like to me it's somebody who and then that's when i got my peloton right because it's a virtual trainer right because like, again it's somebody i have to have somebody i i do these workouts i am like dying and drenched in sweat. I mean, literally the other day, the first time ever I had sat up on the bike cause it was a little break time. You know I mean? You have these little episodes where you can kind of take a little, take it easy for a few 30 seconds. Right. And so I sat up instead of being kind of hunched over and the sweat was dripping off my bike, even though I wasn't wow. touching the handlebars. <laughs> like usually I'm on the handlebars and the sweat's dripping off and coming off of my right, arm, right. like onto the floor. But this was like the first time I've ever seen it. And I was like watching my handlebars and I saw the sweat. Oh <laughs> my God. Dripping, even though I wasn't like holding on. So it's a big workout, right? I would never do that. Did you ever try any of the other programs, you know, like um, the ones by Beachbody and whatever have you? They have so many programs. Did you ever try those? No, I don't know what it was about. I don't know. And I was never a spin person. You know, I hadn't, I don't, I'd been to one spin class literally and I hated it. And then I <laughs> bought the Peloton, right? So I was like, my husband's like, are you sure you're going to like this? He's like, it's going to become a clothes hanger. You know, like, it's going to sit there, like, you know, all the other equipment. And, and I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to do this. I don't know what it was about it, but it's been transformational for me. That and my trainer, 
my trainer and the Peloton. And I lost my trainer when I moved to Boston because she's in Cincinnati. Um, and that was probably the, I really have gone downhill just a little bit since I don't have her. So I, I really do recognize, you know, the, the importance she, of a trainer. Yeah. She's so, cause they just, somebody pushes you. Like I tell yeah. patients all the time too. I'm like, you know, Michael Phelps has a coach. He doesn't need a coach. Like he could coach anybody, you know, right. True. When he's swimming, he could be a coach. He could be a swim coach. I mean, coach the high school kids, college That's kids, true. Right? That's true. But he has a coach because he wants to get better. Right. So we have to have coaches to get better, whether that's. Yeah, I think a, you need another person to recognize what you're missing to kind of perfect that part of um, your skill set. Right. And whether that's a dietitian or a BC medicine physician or a nurse practitioner or health coach or um, trainer, right? All these people, psychologists that we have, you know, all these people are, are coaches, right? And they're teaching you how to, to, to move forward, right? And holding you accountable and, and, and pushing you because otherwise, like I said, I wouldn't do that same workout. If you gave me an exercise bike and just told me to do 60 minutes on it, I would just pedal and watch, (laughs) watch like, Game of Thrones, you know, and just be peddling. I think the other part is also the accountability part um, of it. Um, but yes. for some reason, when I so when I use so when I was doing my residency, I was uh, back in India. I was working out like crazy, but I didn't have a personal coach. I was fairly successful. I was working on like two hours a day, but I was motivated internally to do it, and I could never justify the cost. And because of that, even now, I'm not, I'm not able to justify the cost for some reason. But I think I definitely need a personal trainer, which I probably will get at some point in time. Yeah, I think it's totally <laughs> good. And now, again, with all the virtual stuff, it's been quite nice, you know, that people are able to, um, you know, do it virtually. I was able to connect with my trainer again virtually in Cincinnati because mm-hmm. she started doing that, you know. And, I mean, do you think, do you think there's before. a difference? Do you feel a difference between the virtual and in person or it's about the same? No, I think it's less virtually because it's not, she can't like, you know, I'm not quite as accountable. Like in other (laughs) words, you know, I'm going to work out a little bit harder when I'm there in front of some, like when I'm right there with you, right? Like in the gym, right? Right, Versus, and I think I do that even if I'm like in the gym, you know? So there is a little bit of that like personal piece that I think isn't as good with accountability, you know, with virtual. Right. But but it's better than, you know, I think, like I said, recognizing the key is recognized. Key for me was recognizing some of these things. And it took me a long time. But now I actually miss it. Like if I'm not exercising, like if I'm not able to get on my Peloton because we're on vacation or something, I yeah. actually miss it. And I've never was like that before. <laughs> yeah, that that used to happen to me. Once you get into that routine, it's it's a part of you. It's a part of your daily routine. And that's why you kind of start missing it if you're not doing it. Exactly. But again, if you don't do it for a very long time, you'll start missing that part when you start doing it again. So yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to keep doing what you're doing, what's right. It's hard. And I tell patients that all the time, you know, and myself, right? I mean, it's hard. It's hard to maintain that weight. And it's hard to, and nobody wants to take medication, right? Or have surgery. It's not something anybody says, please just sign me up for some medication and surgery. I mean, nobody picks that. People want to be able to do things sort right. of on their own, right? We all want to have that, you know, that natural, you know, sort of um, way about us, right? That so, but if you recognize that if you can do that and you can, 
you know, be in a different place and how much better that is for you. Like when I was heavy, you know, I was um, getting hypertension and my family has a history of hypertension and my family, my dad had a heart attack and triple bypass when he was 50 and I was getting close to 50. So that was when my transformation sort of happened. I'm like, I'm going to be 50 and fabulous. That's what I said. (laughs) <laughs> it it's very started, important to have a positive mindset also it is right and that is so important right we have studies on that there's studies to show that if you have a positive mindset you do a lot better you know with weight loss which is also i think why medication is also somewhat helpful because right. you know it it helps to reinforce like you get more weight loss right and so right. when you get more weight loss you get more weight loss because <laughs> you True. you're more motivated and or you're just able to do it better and and anyway, medicines, um, even though we prescribe them for patients, patients still have to have those lifestyle changes to go along with it. They are not a substitute for the lifestyle changes. Right. But I think, you know, recognizing that you can can do that and take a medication and get, you know, right. get more results from it. I tell patients that because they'll say, I don't want to be on a medication. Well, I'm like, well, you know, nobody does. But if you can be... Mm-hmm you know, 40 pounds lighter, you know, if you can be one of the people that are fortunate enough to lose 20% of your weight or greater than 10% of your weight, and you want to get there, right? You're 200 pounds and you want to weigh 170, that's going to be 15% weight loss. You know, let's get there, right? And who With, knows if, and, you, if you if you lose that weight, you come off, say your antihypertensives or your anti-diabetic medications, people may be able to do that because these things get reversed. Right. And I was motivated too, because I had just had mild sleep apnea, you know? So, I mean, you know, my doctor did a sleep test just because my, I was getting some hypertension, you know, and recognize, you know, that she's like, do you snore? I'm like, yeah. You know, my husband says I do. (laughs) (laughs) So how did you manage to get the success? So I, I, um, so it all started in an airport. Uh, What airport was it? Um, so I'll call out um, our current uh, president of the Obesity Medicine Association. So Craig Premack and I were in an airport heading home after the after one of the um, uh, one of our conferences. Like I said, I can't remember which airport it was. I want to say it was where was our conference several years ago. Anyway, I have to go back to. I'm trying to think of what that airport looked like. But anyway, we were in the airport getting ready to leave. We both were on similar flights and happened to be in similar sort of gate areas, right? Um, which is rare, you know, in airports right. like that. And we were sitting there and I said, I said, I really want to lose because the next conference is like in the spring or whatever, you know, so that's like six months or something, sure. right? I'm like, I really want to lose 30 pounds by the next conference <laughs> or 25 <laughs> pounds or something by the next conference. And he goes, I want to lose weight too. He goes, let's <laughs> do it together. Should we be accountability partners? And I'm like, and by this time we had gone off in the airport. Like, I think maybe he had to go to a different gate or something. But anyway, you know, we were texting each other. He's like, do you want an accountability buddy? And I'm like, sure. He goes, and he texted back. I said, that's a good idea. You know, we'll hold each other accountable. He goes, we'll text each other each week. He's like, you don't have to tell me your weight. <laughs> he was like worried. Like he didn't want, you know, like you don't ask women what they weigh sort of thing, right? He's like, he's like, you don't have to tell me what you weigh. Just tell me if it's up or down. And I'm like, I don't care if you know what I weigh. I said, it's better for me if you know what I weigh. Right. <laughs> like that I can be more accountable, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell th- you. <laughs> yeah. And I think you raise a very important, a very valid point that even though the trainers may be very expensive, but even if you have an accountability partner, anybody yeah. can be your friend, a family member can be an accountability partner. Right. That also helps because you have somebody to hold you accountable 
at least take that step. Right. So once a week, we said on Monday, we would text each other, you know, like up or down or, or what we weigh or whatever. I actually went one step further. I did my body composition on our body composition scale. <laughs> so I would text him my like printout, you know, from my body yeah. composition scale each yeah. week. And um, so we would, you know, just go back and forth. He'd be like, good job. Or I'd be like, how you doing? You know, whatever. And then um, I uh, I started taking sex enda. I see. And I found that to be very helpful for myself. And uh, it was just a world of difference. Like I have patients that tell me this too, and I can experience that too. People all the time tell me, like I had a woman today tell me, oh my gosh, I never knew what it felt like to be full. And I'm like, that's totally me. (laughs) I was always kind of a volume eater. You know, like I would just eat a little more at, I would eat off my son's plate, right? Like I'd finish my plate, but then I'd pick his leftover broccoli or leftover chicken or whatever. You know, I mean, I'd, I would just, you know, for either mindless reasons or I don't know why, but, you know, maybe I was still hungry. I think I would always eat, you know, a little bit larger volume than probably I should. And, but with Saxenda, it was amazing. You know, I would go out to dinner sometimes or out to eat with friends. I had some, you know, different friends throughout my lifetime that were relatively lean people. And like, we'd be at at lunch and they'd be like, oh, I'm, I'm finished, you know, and they'd move their plate away. And it was like half full. <laughs> and I'd be like looking at it going, Oh, I'll eat that. You want that? Like, <laughs> can I, can I have that extra piece of bread or whatever? You're not going to eat on your plate. You know? So, um, I think that, you know, all of us have that different fullness, that trigger, right. Of that right. I'm full. And for some people it happens very early and they're very fortunate. They can be like, Oh, I'm full and just leave half of the plate, you know? And there's the, there's the rest of us that are like, Hmm. Eat the whole thing and then get a couple <laughs> bites more. But taking Saxenda really made me, you know, feel full. And I was like, this is good. Did you ever try any of these supplements over the counter that are available? And what's your opinion on these? Yeah, I I never really tried any over the counter stuff in my um my journey. Um, I tell patients all the time we have so much better data on the actual right. medications that we have both safety data and efficacy data that I'd rather you take something that's actually going to work, you know, versus something that might not work. And it's, it's costly. A lot of these things cost like. And they're you know, not regulated because they're, they're uh, labeled as supplements. So they're not regulated. So we don't really know what's in them. Exactly. And so I tell people, I'd rather you take something. Now I do believe, you know, I was actually, when I was at the university of Cincinnati, I was on integrative medicine faculty. And I, I'm very much a believer in, you know, using different things, you know, in different ways. Um, there is some data, for example, on uh, cinnamon and insulin resistance. And right. so I did have a patient the other day. I had a, a, a girl, a 12-year-old that, you know, her family was rightfully re- reluctant for her to take metformin. And even though, you know, we know it's very safe, but it's a medicine, right? And right. people have to get to that point in different ways. And even though we had the discussion about it and she clearly had acanthosis, she had a high fasting insulin level, you know, so she had some reasons for us to believe too, that she might benefit from something that's going to help her insulin sensitivity. Right. You know, so she's the, the mom was like, is there something we can do? You know, something else we can do? I said, well, you can take some cinnamon, you know, <laughs> it actually helps with insulin resistance if you want to give it a try. You know, and there's some, like I said, there's some some data on that. Not a lot of good weight loss data, but a lot of these supplements, it's hard for them to get weight loss data because it's hard for them to do that. It's hard to standardize and and do the study. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and yeah. fund it, right? Because to do a weight loss study takes a lot of patience. That's I true. Mean, well, not just patience, like, <laughs> but a lot of people, you know, in the study to show the difference, the, to, to be powered substantially to show a difference, you know, in weight loss of five to 10%, you have to have quite a big study and to have a cinnamon company fund, you know, <laughs> that, that one year study or three year study, like some of the sex and topiramate and, you know, some of the other studies we have. Right. It costs a lot of money. That's true. What do you do now to keep a check on your weight, um, especially in the holiday season and during celebrations? That's the tough one, right? That's when you just kind of see things, you see cookies and you see cakes and whatever have you. And you're like, let's live a little. Yeah. So I, like I said, I do live a little, I do then, you know, um, I, I do think that I'm fortunate that because I've worked into such a nice routine of exercise that I've been able to, you know, we have some data to show that exercise helps with weight maintenance um, more so than weight loss. And so I'm fortunate that because I do do that, I can have, you know, I, you know, you can, there's the old saying, you can't outrun your fork, right? So you can't just overeat and then exercise, but it does give you a little bit more leeway. I mean, I don't lose the weight, right? If I was being more disciplined hundred percent of the time, and there are times when I am more disciplined and I might, you know, be able to get some more weight loss when I'm paying more attention to my, to my um, eating plan. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't I remember reading it somewhere actually um, that people think that people who are suffering from obesity do not have willpower, but it just takes a few extra bites and yeah. it's, and that's the end of it, right? So right. you may be, you may have the willpower to stop yourself for whatever amount of time, but then at some point in time, you tire out. Yes, and, and that- it's really, and I say to people, you know, it's really about, in Bob Kushner, I like Bob Kushner's um, thing. You know, he says it's about skill power, not willpower. Not willpower, yeah. Right, so you need to learn the skills of trying to manage that, which is really um you know, was is really cognitive behavioral therapy and understanding, you know, what choices you're making. And like we said, delayed discounting, right. And recognizing that, you know, so what you said before, you know, how do I manage it? Well, I sort of, I let myself have these episodes, but then the next day I might just have a protein shake for breakfast and, that's and one for lunch again. And, and that's of, the other thing to re- you know, kind of realize that it's a continuum. It's not that one day you had a heavy meal and that's the end of it. It's a continuum. You right. Can, so then you can kind of, you know, again, you can't just go hog wild and then make up for it. You know, right. um, you shouldn't be sort of, you know, starving yourself, if you will, you know, for these That's other true. episodes. That's true. Um, you don't want to promote, you know, binge eating, but at the same time, you kind of have to do that, right? You have to, I tell people it's like spending money. It's about the whole week or the whole month, That's true. not about like one day, right? No, so, yeah. What I meant was like in terms of the holidays and whatever, you know that you're going to have, say, a family meal or a, say on Thanksgiving or whatever, but mm-hmm. you plan accordingly for that particular meal. Right. And and it shouldn't be a, a daily affair that, okay, I'm going to have a feast for dinner, but the rest of the, the, the day I'm not going to be um, eating whatever unless unless uh, unless you're doing intermittent fasting which again is kind of different because the feast should still be a healthy meal um doing intermittent fasting doesn't mean that you can eat whatever you want to eat right 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 and that's you know um i i have been sort of doing some of that recently to see what that does you know just to um 
Sort of. yeah, it's 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 interesting because I was doing it a few, till a few months ago, and I, it was very interesting because till then I never realized that hunger would come in waves and just go away. And that's what you realize when you start doing um, intermittent fasting that it just comes for a little while, it goes away, then it comes back, goes away, and then and after a while it'll just come back and it'll just stay. Then you'll be hungry, and then you know that it's time to eat. Yeah, and that's what our our psychologists teach people is how to ride the wave, they call it, right? Ride the wave of hunger and sort of let it go and see if you can get past it because it is is something that you have to try to manage, right? That skill power, not the willpower, but these skills that that you have, right? So like I'll tell people all the time, it's like same with cognitive behavioral therapy. You have to kind of, like I gave this example once of how, you know, I was, um, I had a protein shake at home, a smoothie that I made. And I had a coffee um, and I was driving into work and I didn't sleep very well the night before. For whatever reason, I was stressed out. There was a lot going on at work and I was driving into work. And by the time my, my drive was like a half hour, by the time I get to where I work, I'm like, oh, I need to stop at Starbucks because I need another coffee. Like it was a bad day. Right. I need another coffee. So I'm stopping to, at Starbucks. And of course, I'm like, oh, I should get a pastry because <laughs> I deserve a pastry because it's been bad week and it's my birthday this, you know, this week, right. was my birthday. So I'm like, all these things are going on in my head. And this is all within a, you know, two minute span of getting off the exit. Right. Like, I mean, this is like not a long conversation. It's like, you know, I'm just getting off the exit. And instead of driving to work, I'm going to drive through Starbucks in the drive-thru. Wow. So I get in the drive-thru and I'm like, Oh, cause they have my favorite almond croissant they used to they took it off the market <laughs> thankfully but which was great was, i can't even get it but it was delicious you know almond croissant from this bakery in san francisco that they would ship them in all over the country right and right just yeah delicious so i'm like oh i'm gonna get that almond croissant and then i'm gonna get a also though i'm gonna get like a macchiato right caramel macchiato wow. i'm not just getting a regular coffee I'm getting like, <laughs> I'm like, so so I'm, I'm driving up, you know, there's a line and I'm, I'm thinking, mm, I really shouldn't do that, you know, because I'm trying to lose weight. I'm doing the delayed discount. I'm like, but what is it worth to you? I'm like, is it really worth it? I'm like, yeah, it's really worth it because it's been a bad week, you know, and I didn't sleep and there's some bad stuff going down at work. And so I'm like, okay, you know, so finally I get up to the window, right? Get up to the ordering thing and I order it. Now there's still like two cars before you get to the actual window, right? right. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I ordered it. Maybe I should just tell her I don't want it when I get to the window. <laughs> I'm like, what that? What does she think if I say I don't want the croissant even though I ordered it? You know. Anyway, so no, I take it, I go, and then um, by the time I get over to my office, right, I say to myself, I look, I think to myself, I had the shake this morning, I had the coffee with some half and half, I have this macchiato, which of course the calories are there at the Starbucks. You know, I see, right, I yeah, add it up, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like 800 calories right? Wow. That I've consumed. And it's only eight o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. You know, and I'm thinking to myself, I just had 800 calories and it's only eight o'clock in the morning. And so, but, but instead of being in the past, in my past life, I would have beat myself up about that. And I would right. have said, ah, that's horrible. And so for lunch, I would have got pizza, you know, at the cafeteria, or I would have got, you know, French fries and a cheeseburger or something. Yeah. Or it's I would time have to throw out. in the towel or whatever. Yeah. Throw in the towel. Right. But then if you think about it, I would have then probably racked up like 25, 3,000 calories that day, right? If I just right. threw in the towel. But instead I said, you know what? This was really enjoyable. This is my favorite croissant. It's my favorite drink. I really enjoyed this. This is really good. Now the rest of the day I'm going to, you know, so for lunch I had a protein shake and a salad. And for dinner I went home and we made salads with chicken on the grill. 
you know, and that's what I had for dinner. So the point is that I was able to sort of flex it and enjoy that moment still and not feel bad about it, but still come out, you know, relatively with the same number of calories at the end of the day, right? It didn't have to go out the window. That's true. And actually, one of the things that I've uh, myself tried and I've, uh, you know, it's been successful for me at times, not always, I I don't always give in to my um, desires, so to say, of, you know, the, the, the croissants and whatever have you. I love croissants, by the way. I love I love their plain croissant with butter, man. That's amazing. That's like the best thing. But what I've realized is that there have been times when I just talk to myself, I'm like, this is not worth it. And and you keep debating, you keep debating in your mind till you have that croissant in your hand or till you have that coffee in your hand. But and there have been times where I've just thrown it in the, the dustbin. Oh, yes, that's what I do too. So I told that story too to patients one time in a talk. Is it like I will be classically, you know, you'd go to Panera and they right. give you the free cookie because you had this reward card. And right. I would go to Panera for lunch because I had a Panera right by my work. And I would go there because I was able to get out, get out of work and just get away for a little bit, you know, get outside. And and they'd say, do you want a free cookie? And again, I would sit there and go, I don't really need a cookie, you know, but it's free. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. So then I would take it home or take it back to the office. And I would I would break it in half and I would just eat half, right? And then I got to the point where I would throw the other half in my trash can. But one time at three o'clock in the afternoon, I busted that baby out of the trash can. That's oh how bad God, it was. Really? Wow. Well, it, was like, it was like a clean trash can. It was just my little trash can wow. in my office, right? It was just in a bag, essentially. I had just right, bagged right, it up. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know? No, for, so for me, it just um, that debate ends when I just throw it in the trash can. So like well, I'm walking outside or whatever. And if I have that piece, I'm like, I'm and I'm debating whether I should eat it or not, whether it's worth um, the calories for me or not. And then once it's in the trash, it's done. That's it. You know, that's that, that, that debate is over. So, well, so, it's then a I had to, so then I had to learn. So then what I would do after that experience is I would break it, the cookie in half at the Panera and throw it in the trash can there. Ah, I see. So yeah. I wouldn't go back and get it out of a public trash can, obviously. Yeah, it's <laughs> but, because, yeah, once it's out of once it's out of your mind, it's done. Because otherwise, if you can see it, it that debate is going to keep going on and it's actually very distracting. Right. And that's the thing that I've, that's the strategy, I guess, I've you, when, you, when you asked earlier, you know, what strategies is, I tend to try just not to buy it, you know, like, I mean, for home at least, you know, and not have, those types of things around and, uh, you know, cause otherwise if they're here, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat it. And, but I just have to recognize that and maybe like you said, buy a smaller portion or I'll, I'll just throw it out or I just, you know. Yeah. That's, that's when the debate, the mental debate ends once it's out and it's gone, that's the end of the mental debate. You know that. And then you feel actually happy about it. You're like, I did the right thing. So yeah, you don't you feel enjoyed. sad. Yeah, yeah. And you don't feel sad. Like even if you eat half a cookie and the, the other half you threw away, you would actually have enjoyed the, the half cookie that you ate rather than having had the full cookie and feeling guilty about it afterwards. Right. But so many people, I think, have trouble throwing away food. That's right. True. Because in so my patients will tell me that because I'll tell them to do these sorts of things too. And I'll do that. Like I said, that's my strategy. Like if we have a a birthday cake or something, you know, and then we have leftover birthday cake, you know, from a party. Um, otherwise it sits there all week and you just eat it. True. Like, you know, True. every night you just have a piece of cake and that's not necessarily what you want to do. You want to have it on the birthday, but that's then true. you want it. So, so I say, well, give it away to people, you know, like make sure you give it away at the party. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm always against throwing away food, but I think um, it's a difficult situation and it's a difficult 
uh, thing to do um, because even, you know, traditionally coming from India, whatever, we don't throw away food. We just try to use every bit of it. And I, I don't believe in throwing away food. So I, I, what I say is that buy the right food to begin with. But hey, if you did buy the wrong food, then you have to decide what to do with it. Either throw um, away or give it away or whatever, because otherwise it's going to have a detrimental effect on your health. Yeah. And I think too, for some of the things that we enjoy, you know, they're not really food, right? I mean, these That's are enjoyment true. things that were mostly like a cookie. You know, is it really food? I mean, we don't really need it. You know, it's not like mm. we're throwing away broccoli or something right <laughs> like yeah that's it, true it's, it's really um in a uh you know a, an enjoyment thing and we should enjoy our food don't get me wrong i mean we should enjoy our you know i, I think that's a key factor is mindfulness and really enjoying what you're eating and not you know not um trying to deprive yourself yeah absolutely i think if you deprive yourself then that that craving kind of builds up and you just overdo it so i don't i think you should still pander to your cravings but you should do it in small doses yes and find something you can sometimes find things that are better right like i will get like um like dark chocolate pieces that are individually wrapped you know because i know that i like some chocolate but i won't eat like like if i have you know something else like reese's peanut butter cups I would eat like a whole oh, bag yeah. that just course. eat them. Of course. But like if I have dark chocolate pieces, I could even dip them in a little bit of peanut butter. Right. And, and eat that. And that's so much, I, but I'll only have one and I'm, it's just not as, you know. Yeah. And that's what I used to do was actually, I wouldn't just bite on it. I would just, just leave it in my mouth, let it melt. Mm-hmm. And after a while you just feel very satisfied. So yeah. you don't need to eat the whole bar of chocolate either. You just eat a lot yeah. small piece of it and you're very satisfied by the end of it. That's what we teach patients with mindful eating, you know, doing that mindful eating exercise where you take the chocolate and you smell the chocolate and you really experience the chocolate and, you know, put it in your mouth, let it sit there. Right. Because that, again, gives you that sort of, you know, it makes you like it so much more. That's all we have time for. Thank you so much, Angela, for sharing your story and inspiring people. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you. If you've had success in weight loss and are willing to share your story, please reach out to me at host at decodingobesity.com. I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.